John 17, John chapter 17. I was thinking about tonight's message a little bit ahead of myself there. Be here tonight, Sunday night service. We're in a series entitled Higher Ground. I'm going higher, and uh, we're in Psalms 124. The psalmist said, except the Lord had been our help. How many glad that God is your help, amen? How many think about those tight spots in life? If God wasn't there, you'd be in a big mess, amen? And they say, except the Lord had been our help, may Israel say, except the Lord had been our help, uh, when men rose against us, and you come tonight to be encouraged by that passage and David's experiences and helping you through difficult times or probably difficult times to come. John chapter 17, uh, for some reason, we are studying prayers this morning. I just finished, started a new series in our Chinese-speaking department this morning, and uh, we looked at the prayer of Nehemiah in chapter 1, and this morning we're looking at the greatest prayer ever prayed, and that was the prayer of our Lord Jesus Christ, John chapter 17. Look around you, if your neighbor next to you doesn't have a Bible or does not have a King James Version uh, translation, please share your Bible with them, be kind and generous to them, and uh, share your Bible with them, and then help them get a King James Bible after church, amen? Help them to make sure they get a right Bible there, and they'll help them out there, they'll be a blessing. John 17, look what you notice, verse 1. These words spake Jesus, and lifted up his eyes to heaven, and said, <coughs> Father, the hour is come. <coughs> Excuse me. Glorify thy son, that thy son also may glorify thee, as thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do, and now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Father, thank you for the prayer of our Lord Jesus Christ recorded here in John 17. Some have aptly called this the, the true Lord's prayer. Some have called this the great high priestly prayer of Jesus. And we know that, Lord, that Jesus prayed this prayer publicly in the audience of 11 of his men prior to going to the Garden of Gethsemane. And there in the Garden of Gethsemane, the most intense prayer ever prayed was prayed by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, we don't know how to pray. Father, we're not sure what to say. We don't have the words most of the time. We're not sure how to approach you. Lord, we want to know how to pray. We want to have prayers that move the hand of God. We want to be able to pray in faith and pray in the Holy Ghost. We want to be praying prayers that God will answer and to have the faith and confidence in knowing that we please you through our praying. Help us, God, with our weaknesses. Help us, Lord, this morning in our inability to articulate. Help us this morning to understand what Jesus prayed in this prayer. And may you change us and help us today that our praying would just be like the Lord Jesus Christ. There's some wonderful things found in this passage that I Pray that you'll encourage us about and build us up in the word of your grace. Bring every thought, I pray this morning, captive to the obedience of our Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to only think about you. Help us to only think about this message. Help us to only focus on these elements. Help us not to have distractions. 
God, deliver us from Satan distracting us and hindering us. And God, I pray that you'll grow us in the word of your grace and the word of Christ would dwell in us richly in all wisdom. And we pray this morning when we leave, we can say that, Lord, we can give you glory and praise because you did the great work in our heart. Bless the word of God in our lives today. Save individuals who do not know you as Savior. Stir up revival in our hearts. May that spirit of revival that has been ongoing for several days in our church continue to burn and flourish. And we'll give you glory and praise for this in Jesus' name. And all of God's people say, amen. You may be seated. John 17 is the recorded prayer of our Lord Jesus Christ. Next time, or unless you're going through right now, you're going through a reading and a study of the Gospels, I encourage you in Matthew and Mark and Luke and in John to study the prayers of our Lord Jesus Christ or the references about Jesus praying. In Matthew chapter 4 and Luke chapter 4, we have reference there about how Jesus went to the wilderness for 40 days. And there, Jesus, for 40 days, he prayed and he fasted. And there we find that the great temptation, the great tempter came to him and tempting him. But his, the prayers of our Lord Jesus Christ remind us of how he was fortified in spirit. We, uh, we read over there in Mark chapter 1. Now the Bible says Jesus rising a great while before the day. That means before the sun even went up, rising a great while before day, he's praying. In Matthew 6 and Luke 11, he teaches twice the apostles, the disciples, the pattern for prayer. That prayer where he said, this is the pattern in which you should pray. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And he said, give us this day our daily bread. And he said, and Lord, he said, keep us from the temptation. And he prayed that prayer not for us to mimic and to follow word by word, but he gave us that prayer as a pattern of knowing how to approach God and how to pray for our needs. And it's okay to pray for your daily bread. And it's important that we pray for God's will to be done in our lives. And it's important that we pray for his kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. And it's important that we pray, Lord, lead us not into temptation because God doesn't tempt us into temptation, but he allows us to be tempted to, to, to bring out the best that's inside of us. And so he teaches us praying. In Matthew 7, 7, 11, he teaches us that prayer is asking. He said in Matthew 7, 7, ask and you shall receive and seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For he that asketh receiveth and he that seeketh findeth and he that knocketh it shall be opened unto you. You understand this morning when we pray, we're not just to pray one simple prayer, but even as I told the Chinese to apartment this morning the Nehemiah he prayed day and night listen we must keep on asking and we must keep on praying God wants you to ask listen don't let your imagination limit you and don't be inhibited by your little faith he says asking you shall receive and he says this if ye then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children how much more shall the heavenly father give good things to them that ask him I'm going to tell you this morning you don't have to be shy in coming to our father you don't have to be reluctant to coming and we have a father in heaven who answers prayer we read on a little bit further. And in Matthew 26, Mark 14, and Luke 22, we see Jesus' prayer in Gethsemane. In Luke chapter 11 and Luke chapter 18, we see the persistence of Jesus in prayer and teaching us the importance of being persistent. We call that importunity in prayer. In Luke 23, 34, we see his prayer on the cross. We said, Father, forgive them. Notice Hebrews 5, 7, if you would please. Hebrews 5, 7 says this in describing the praying of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who in the days of his flesh, when he offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared. 
Jesus was a man of prayer. Jesus moved the hand of God in prayer. Jesus gave himself to prayer. And if our Savior would do such a thing, how important it is for you and I to give ourselves to prayer. We're in John chapter 17, a great prayer of the Lord Jesus Christ, the greatest prayer ever prayed. Some has said, some, someone said this, that John Knox, an old Welsh preacher, that they read John chapter 17 to him every day during his final illness before he went home to be with the Lord. A preacher by the name of Thomas Manton preached 45 sermons, if you can imagine that, 45 sermons from John chapter 17. Marcus Rainsford, an Irish preacher, wrote a 500-page exposition on John chapter 17. Some have termed this, this, pack, this, this chapter the holy of holies of sacred scripture. Now, when you consider men of God in days gone by who have said such things and gave themselves to the study of this, we must give ourselves to the study of this prayer. We find here the prayer of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice the setting for this is John chapter 16, verse 33. We looked at that last time we were in the Gospel of John. In John 16, 33, Jesus, now remember, he has transitioned from the upper room where he's at the Lord's table, and he's had a fireside chat with the men. He's taught them many different things. He's led them out down the hill across the brook Kidron. They're approaching the Garden of Gethsemane. While they were doing that, he gave them John 15 and John 16 about the vine and the branches. And in John 16, 33, transitioning into this public prayer, he would pray before them, before he actually went into the Garden Gethsemane, this is what it says about Jesus. These things have I spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And that is the stepping stone. That is the sedgeway. That is the entryway for you and I into this great prayer. Jesus said, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Let me tell you something today. Listen, peace treaties that get broken, tariffs that are exercised, change in presidents and change in prime ministers and change in dictators and laws that go upside down and a society goes away from God, that doesn't bother Jesus and that doesn't bother God. And I remind you this morning, Jesus Christ has overcome all that. He said, I have overcome the world. And he did not approach prayer unto the Heavenly Father as someone that had been whooped and someone that could not pray and as someone that could not get a hold of God the Father. He approached that time of prayer with his Heavenly Father and leading his disciples in the prayer by saying, I have overcome the world. And I want to tell you this morning, as we look at this prayer, I want to encourage you to get beyond your reluctance, get, get beyond your shyness and your insufficiency and your inadequacy that we all have. And I want to encourage you this morning to boldly come before the throne of grace, to find grace to help in time of need. Because our Savior gives you and I a pattern for how we should pray. I want you to see some things about this prayer. We don't have a lot of time this morning, but I want you to see some things that could change your life and has transformed me this week. And it's helped me immensely that I pray will help you. Notice Jesus in this prayer. We see Jesus in this prayer. It's filled with passion. This prayer is filled with passion. Notice in verses 1 to 5, Jesus, it says this, these words spake Jesus and lifted his eyes to heaven. I'm thankful our Savior knew that his heavens were, his prayers were delicted, lifted, were directed to heaven. He lifted up his eyes. When the disciples saw him lift up his eyes to heaven, they knew it was time for them to close their eyes and bow out of prayer in God. He says he lifted his eyes to heaven and he said, Father, aren't you glad this morning we, God is our Father and we can say Abba, Father, and come to him in prayer? Aren't you glad for a Father that will hear you and a Father that takes time for you and a Father who's never too busy and a Father that will hear you in the morning and in the evening? There's no time of the day we won't hear you. Aren't you glad this morning you can say Abba, Father? 
Father. He's a Father that's there for you and I. And so notice in this prayer in verses 1 to 5, we sense this prayer being filled with the passion of our Lord Jesus Christ. In these first five verses, at least a minimum five times, he uses the words glory, glorified, and glorify. Jesus' passion was for the glory of God. The goal of the Christian life is the glory of God. The glory of God is giving God glory, giving God praise. You and I were made to praise the Lord. Listen this morning, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, Apostle Paul wrote this, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own? For you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Jesus' prayer in this, in this prayer, he had a, was filled with passion because he said, Lord, I've come to glorify you, and now would you glorify me? But I want to say for the Christian life, you and I at the moment of salvation, instantaneously, God makes very clear that we are bought with a price. We are bought with the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Acts 20, 28 tells us that God bought us with his own blood. The payment price for sin was the shed blood of Jesus Christ for every sinner. And when he did so, he bought us with a price. We don't belong to ourselves anymore. We are the property of God. We are his purchased possession, as Ephesians 1 says. We belong to God. He purchased us. He bought us out of the slave market of sin. We are covered with the blood of Jesus Christ. And therefore, in our body and in our spirit, we are to glorify God. We are to give God the honor. We must ask ourselves the question day in and day out, is God glorified by my decisions? Is God glorified by my speech? Is God glorified by my action? Is God being glorified today? Well, it's on the Lord's Day on Sunday that I'm not going to let my feelings get in the way and my social agenda get in the way and my family matters get in the way that I will say with all my heart, my determination is because this is the Lord's Day that I will glorify the Lord. 1 Corinthians 10, 31 Wherefore, there, uh, where, whether therefore you eat or drink, or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. 2 Corinthians 4, 6, for God who commanded the light to <coughs> shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Would you give God the glory this morning? Would you give him all the glory in your life? Do you seek to glorify God with your speech, with what you eat and what you drink and what you do? Would you give him all the glory this morning? The story is told of a, a man by the name of Kenji Asaki, Kenji Araki. Kenji Araki on August 6, 1945, his world was changed forever at that moment. There in Hiroshima, as the sirens were, were going off, They'd heard those sirens many times before, but somehow they'd circumvented any bombings on that city. Kenji uh, Rocky was just a little toddler. A huge flash of light. A great plume of smoke. The atomic bomb had been dropped on Hiroshima. Radiation fall was over the entire city. Kenji's grandmother's brother and sister died from radiation sickness not long after that. As Kenji grew up, he experienced great emotional conflict about those who suffered and died. His parents were Christians. They tried their best in that strongly Buddhist stronghold of a country to raise them with the mindset of God. Kenji devoted himself to school, to secular humanism, and atheism. 
And he grew up as a, being very persuaded as a secularist that there was no God. As he got older, there was a great emptiness inside. He was hollow. He gave himself the study of God's word. Discovered for himself, is God real? Is he true as he says he is? The course of that study over a period of time, Kenji Araki had a spiritual turning point. His eyes were open from darkness to light and came to the realization that everything his mother and father told him about Jesus was true. And Kenji Araki could point to a time and place where he called on the name of the Lord and he was saved. Not only did he get saved, he saw a turning point in his life. He recognized I've been living my life going nowhere. Can I tell you something this morning? If you're not saved, you're living your life going nowhere. And if you are saved, you're just living for yourself. Just to get your own goals done. You're going nowhere. You're just like a hamster going around in circles. Kenji Iraqi got this desire in his heart. He says, I'm going to do something for God. He started living for the Lord. And over a period of time, because of what God had done in his heart, he realized that God was calling to be a preacher of the gospel. They asked Kenji for his testimonies. He surrendered to the gospel ministry, a preacher of the word of God. And this is what he said. He quoted 1 Corinthians 6.20. And he said, I was spared from death so that my life might have a higher purpose in serving God. And may I say to you this morning as we consider the passion that was in the prayer of our Lord Jesus Christ, that his prayer was to give God the glory. Quickly, would you notice how Jesus did that? Listen, as he prayed, he gave God glory because of his deity. Notice in verses 1 to 5, we see emphasis about the deity of our, Je of our Lord Jesus Christ. The passion of Jesus was to be glorified through his deity. Can I remind you this morning, Jesus Christ was not man trying to become God. He was God who became man. He was God manifest in the flesh. He was the word who became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Can I remind you that he had all of his deity, 100% God, holy, harmless, and separate from sinners and sinners. And coming into this world by way of a virgin birth, he retained all that. And though he became a man, and though he knew our hunger, and though he knew, though he knew our anxieties and our worries, and all of those things, and sorrow and hurt, may I remind you, he, did not become, he was not sinful in any way. And though he knew all these things, he became like us, but he was not like us. He was God and man. 100% God and 100% man. And now he's at this point where you notice in verse 1, he says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify thy son. He was the only begotten son. He was the son who came by the virgin birth. He was the son who came to die for sinners. He said, glorify thy son, that thy son also may glorify thee. And Jesus in his passion sought that his deity that he talked about and he prayed about the glory of his person in verse 1. That he was uniquely equal to God and that he was sinless. And then notice, he not only prayed about the glory of his person, but he gave God the glory because of his power. Notice in verse 2, as thou hast given him power over all flesh and that he should give eternal life unto as many as thou hast given him. Can I tell you this morning, 
Satan has the power of death, but Jesus has the power of life. He is the way, and he is the truth, and he is the life. If you're, there's a gnawing going inside of you, and an emptiness inside of you, it's because that God wants you to know you can be saved today. And God wants you to know this eternal life, that he has the power to give you. He spoke about the glory of his person and the glory of his power. But notice in verse 5, he speaks about the glory of his perpetuity. You see in this prayer, he's seeking that this, mo- this moment where the hour has come, that through his deity, through his de- deity dying on the cross for you and I, that he would give glory to God the Father. Can I tell you this morning, sometimes we're going to go through hard times, and sometimes we're going to go through some difficulties, but in spite of all these things, we must give God the glory. He must get glory from our lives when we're rejoicing, and he must get glory from our lives when we're executing responsibilities, and he must get glory from our lives when we're going through rough and tough times. We must understand that's what he wants to do through our life. In verse 5, he said, and now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, and with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. You see, Jesus recognized because he had power as creator and power over nature and power over death. He says not only that, but he said, Father, when I was with you in heaven, we were, I had the same glory. He says, glorify thou me at this time. He says, I'm, I know that this is my hour has come. Glorify thyself through me and with me. And he's talking about the glory of his perpetuity that Jesus had glory as the pre-eternal Christ. <coughs> Jesus had glory as the everlasting Christ. He's Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so he prayed that God would be glorified in his deity. But notice in verses 2 to 4, <coughs> he prayed that, he be, that God would be glorified through his death. Would you notice verse 2? <coughs> and as thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou, give, as thou given him. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Notice verse 4. <coughs> I have glorified thee on the earth. What's he talking about there? Well, he's talking about the fact that everything that he came to do, he accomplished up to that moment. He had done his miracles. He had done his teaching. He had done his preaching. He raised up laborers. He did all those things. And then he said, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. Now, the work Jesus is talking about here would be the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. The most important reason why Jesus came was to die on the cross for your sins and mine. Jesus came to die for the sins of all the world. As we've been going through the Gospel of John, we saw in John 3.16, God's purpose that he sent his only begotten son into the world. He loved the world by sending Jesus to the world to die for us. And Jesus' death on the cross is the work that he speaks about here. It was a fearful work because on that cross, the wrath of God would be poured out on Jesus as punishment for your sins and mine. Can you imagine that? The wrath of God poured out on his own son for you and I. It was a fearful work. It was a fatal work. Jesus not only had to suffer, Jesus had to die. He had to die a cruel death. He had to die a criminal's death. He had to die a death for every sinner. He had to take your place and mine. It was a fearful work. It was a fatal work. But praise God, if you look at verse 4, it's a finished work. Amen? It's a finished work. Christ died for our sins once and for all. He, doesn't have, he didn't have to come back a second time and a third time. And he doesn't have to be, we don't have to be repeating the death of Jesus Christ. Christ died once and for all for sinners. And when he was on that Christ and he cried out, it is finished. It 
Amen. It was consummated. The transaction, the sin debt for sin was paid in full. Jesus took care of all of God's demands for sins for you and I. And he left the zero balance so that you and I could stand before God knowing that when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, our sins are washed away. Our sins are forgiven. We have the gift of eternal life. And praise God, we become sons of God. And so we see this morning, it's a fearful work and a fatal work, a finished work, but it's a forgiving work. Oh, listen, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Savior, He forgives you of all of your sins. Notice again verse 4, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. I'm reminded of Galatians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. As Paul was beginning this chapter, he starts off by saying, of Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world. And by the way, it's still a present evil world. Amen. That he might deliver us from this world system, the corruption that is in the world through lust, the wickedness that lieth in the whole world, that he might, by through his death, he gave himself for us, that he might deliver us from this present evil world, according to the will of God our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And here's what I'm trying to help you this morning understand. As Jesus began this prayer, he began this prayer by saying, Lord, glorify me as I glorify you. Our praying, brothers and sisters in Christ, we look at the pattern here. Our praying should give glory to God. Our praying, yes, we have our personal needs we'll bring to God. And there may be some tone of selfishness in what we pray. But our praying must be glorified to God. Whatever we ask for ourselves, we must always precede it by saying, Lord, whatever I ask for may give glory to you. Whatever the outcome may give glory to you. Whatever happens with us may give glory to you. And sometimes those doors that are shut and those detours that God gives us. And sometimes the situation which seems like God is not present, God is present. And God is working. I'm reminded this morning of our, one of our missionaries who's in a restricted access country. Brother Chris Knudsen is a missionary in a restricted access country in a very difficult situation. And every year around June and July, it's a very tense time for him because he has to renew his work visa in that restricted access country. This year was a very difficult time because that restricted access country has very tense relationships with the United States right now. And as he submitted his visa renewal, he, his work application, two things happened to him. Number one, the place where he's been working for all this time, they gave him a work visa and said, we are not renewing that work visa. And he's had this work visa for over 20 years. We're not renewing it and you're not allowed to work in this province anymore. That was a blow to him. You might find work somewhere else, but we're not going to tell you where. Blow number two. <clears throat> they took his passport. And what normally would be a two-week process stretched into over six weeks. He had not heard a thing. He found another province and said, we like your credentials. We like what you represent. We like what you're doing. We will hire you. He's supposed to start work Monday, a few hours from now, on their time. <coughs> He's sitting there wondering, do I even have a job? I don't have my visa. They're still holding my passport. And the correspondent who's corresponding on his behalf because of the, uh, the nature of where he's at and it's a restricted assets country, they sent word late Friday night. They said, Pastor Fong and some preachers were on the same thread. They said, we just want you to know that Chris got his visa renewal just in time and he gets to start work Monday with that visa renewal and his passport in hand. And I said, praise God, God is always on time, amen. God never fails and God answers prayer. And I say to you today, listen, I, I believe because I, I know that man of God, he probably prayed this. He said, no, Lord, I don't know what really was going on, but I know Somehow you're going to get the glory through all this. And I'm just saying this morning, as we consider the Lord Jesus Christ, it was 
a prayer filled with passion. It was filled with passion for God and for the glory of God and for the honor of God. Hey, listen this morning. Don't get so caught up like a little child that you've got to have your way and it's all about you and all about your needs. And you forget about the fact that whatever you pray for should all be for the glory of God. That you should pray this, Lord, may you work this out so that my family, that and through my family, through my situation, God, you'll get the glory. This past week, you might pray for two of our church families who are going through a time of bittersweet emotions, a time of grieving, as well as a time of rejoicing. Uh, Robert and Crystal Williams, Crystal's grandmother, who came to know Jesus Christ, her Savior, not too long ago. We just recently baptized her about three weeks ago, but has been going through just a bout with cancer. Went home to be with the Lord earlier this week, and of course, we're saddened by that. And within a few hours after that, I got notice from uh, Lisa Wong, uh, Jacob's wife, Lisa Wong, or Lisa, Lisa Medina, that, that her grandfather, who, he had, who has been very sick for a period of time, who he had the privilege of leading to Jesus Christ as Savior in May 11th of 2017, that he, he was rushed to ICU and uh, went home to be with the Lord at 5 a.m. that morning. And just within a few hours, two families, the, the Medina Wong family and the Williams family, facing loved ones that have passed on to glory. And I'm thankful that they're saved, but I know one thing in both families, I know both families well enough, that they prayed something like this, Lord, we're hurting inside. And Lord, we're not really sure what, really what we're supposed to feel through all this, but we know one thing, we want you to get the glory in this. And may I encourage us this morning as a church family trying to live for God and a church family trying to uh, give, uh, just trying to get out the good news of Jesus Christ and trying to win some souls to Christ and trying to make a difference in our community. Whatever you do and however you do it, may you make sure that everything you do, that it's determined that in your prayer it's filled with a passion to glorify God in whatever you do. And so this morning we see a prayer filled with passion, but secondly, very quickly, would you notice he prayed for his pupils? In verses 6, notice what he says, verses 6 to 19. Verse 6, he said, I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. Now these men were his disciples. They were his followers. They were his pupils. We'd say in our terminology today, they hung out with Jesus 24-7, amen? Where he slept, they slept. Where he ate, they ate. When he inducted them into the ministry, some had to say goodbye to some lucrative careers, some sole proprietorships and some partnerships. Some of them had to say goodbye to these things because they went where Jesus went. I mean, they just were with Jesus for almost three years. And he says, Lord, he says, talking to God the Father, he have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Hey, you know the most important thing Jesus did for those men was to help them understand who God is. And the most important thing about why we should be in church and why we should be reading our Bible is that we try to manifest the name of God that we might know who God is. Listen, God is not impressed with our riches and God is not impressed with our wisdom and God is not impressed with our might. What God is impressed with, that we may know him, as he said in Jeremiah, that we would know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his son 
sufferings, being made conformable to his death. And God wants us to know him in an intimate way. He says, I've manifested thy name. I've manifested you as almighty God. And I've manifested you as God most high. And I've manifested you as God who is our father. And I've manifested you as the God of all comfort. And I've manifested you as the God of all grace. And I've manifested you as God who never changes and God who's eternal. He says, I've manifested thy name unto them, those men which thou gavest me. And so Jesus transitioned from praying with passion that he might glorify God to those who were closest in his life, those he spent and poured his life into for two and a half years. I want you to understand, Jesus did not have a casual relationship with these men. Jesus had a close relationship with these men. He knew these men. He knew what they could do. He knew what they couldn't do. He know, knew their strengths. He knew their weaknesses. May I remind you this morning, Jesus knows all about you and me too, amen? He knows what you can do, and he knows what you can't do. He knows your strengths and my strengths. He knows our weaknesses. He knows when we're strong, and he knows when we're weak. He knows all about us. And Jesus is praying for these men because he said, there's some things that are be coming down here in less than 24 hours that's going to shake and rock their faith. And these are men that greatly need to know that they need my, God's help. And so notice what Jesus said in verse 9. I pray for them. He told Peter not long before that. Simon, Simon, I pray for thee. That thy faith fail not, and that Satan not sift thee as we. And he said here in verse 9, look at, I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. And Jesus is praying for his men. He's praying for men that were close to him. Men that were servants of God. Men to whom the baton would be transferred to. Notice some things he prayed for about these men. Notice in verses 10 to 12, he prayed for their security. He says, all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and, I've glorified, and I am glorified in them. And now, I, and now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to thee, Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one even as while we are. And he says, while I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them is lost, but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Now what was he praying for there? He was praying for their security. Hey, 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 look. Jesus knows we have insecurities. Jesus knows we have fears. Jesus knows we have anxieties. Jesus knows we have a, sometimes our faith is small. That's what's he praying for. Well, notice, first of all, he prays that they would be eternally secure. Can I tell you this morning, if you know Jesus Christ as Savior, you're saved. You're eternally secure. Can I hear an amen? You're eternally secure. He, he that has the Son is life, and he hath not the Son of God has not life. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 5. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now there's some words in 1 Peter 1, 3, you ought to circle about his abundant mercy and he's begotten us again. But notice this, he's begotten us again to a lively or living hope. Can I tell you something this morning? It's not, I hope I'll make it to heaven. It's, it's an anticipation. Yes, I am going to heaven. Amen. And so you can rest assured this morning as we read 1 Peter 1, verses 3 to 5, there's some who, who perhaps you're struggling because the devil's putting doubts in your minds and you're struggling whether or not you're truly saved or not. And that's something Christians go through. 1 Peter 1, verses 3 to 5, arrests those fears and deals with those issues. And he says here that he's, he keeps us, uh, we're begotten again to a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Notice verse 4. To an inheritance. In other words, he's already bequeathed it. It's already in his will. It's God's will you're going to heaven. If you know Jesus Christ is Savior, it's not am I going to heaven. You are going to heaven. Amen? 
I mean, it's, it's a settled question to an inheritance that's incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away. Like, here's what I like this part, reserved in heaven for you. When you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, he wrote a reservation spot there for you. He said, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, where is that? There you may be also. What is that? A reservation he made for you. Aren't you glad today you've got a reservation? Aren't you glad he's got a seat assigned for you? He's got a place for you this morning. He said, why? Because he's already gone ahead of us. He's reserved that spot for you. And Peter heard that. He listened to what Jesus said there. And he wrote over here in 1 Peter 1, 4, through an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that fate is not away, reserved in heaven for you. But he said, you say, well, Pastor Fong, but you understand, I get these fears because what do I have to do to keep my salvation? There's nothing you need to do to keep your salvation. Notice verse 5, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. Ready to be revealed in the last time. Now you bought, you bank on that. That's God's word. Amen. That that's the word of a, of a gentleman who keeps his word and will not lie, because there's two immutable things: God who cannot lie. God will not lie to you. God is all truth. God is not a liar. God promises you this morning that you are eternally secure. Can I help you this morning? If you have any doubts or fears in your mind as to whether or not you're going to heaven, you go back to that place where you sat on that couch or you kneeled on the floor or you kneeled by that seat or wherever it may have been and you called on the name of the Lord and you said, God, I repent of my sins and I acknowledge this morning that Jesus Christ died for my sins and rose again from the dead. You go back to that place and point to in a circle and remind yourself on that day you received a living hope that's reserved in heaven for you and you're not kept by your power but you're kept by the power of God through faith ready to be revealed unto that last day I'm telling you this morning you don't have to have any fears if you're saved listen bless God you're always saved amen praise God for that this morning listen he prayed for them that they would know that they're eternally secure but notice something else Jesus prayed that they remain relationally secure do you notice in this prayer he prays frequently for Their unity. About their oneness. The devil's tactic is to divide and conquer. The devil would have a heyday with Heritage Baptist Church. He'd love to come in here and put some false doctrine in here and divide this church. The, do- the devil would be happy if someone got a bad spirit and started gossiping about people in the church and divided the church. That's the devil's way. It's easier to divide a church than it is to build a church, by the way. And you watch it here as Jesus praying. He knew the tendencies men because just a few hours before that, their power wrangling. They're bickering about who's going to sit on Jesus' left and on his right side. Who's going to be the successor to the ministry of Christ. They're bickering and fighting. Listen, this morning, sometimes our vision gets to be so, we get so tunnel vision. Or it's not tunnel, but sometimes we get to a place where we can't see the forest from the trees. And we get to the place where we don't see the big picture. And we get to thinking about our little world and our little concerns. And then we get complaining and upset about things. Listen, this morning, get the joy of Jesus in your heart. And get the bigger picture of what God wants you to do. Amen. So he prayed for them that they would be relationally secure. Paul said, Let brotherly love continue. And Jesus was praying that they be delivered from jealousy and envies and being divisive. So he prayed for the secure. But quickly notice verses 13 to 16. He prayed for their steadfastness. <coughs> you know, when someone who is an incredible influence in your life that you have followed, that you depended upon. I, I think of some families where maybe it's a very strong patriarchal family where the fathers have got a very strong influence, a very strong personality. 
I think of organizations that have had strong leadership, patriarchal leadership to that, to that degree. When that person is gone and that person is removed, there seems to be a vacuum and a, an open space and people wondering who's going to lead us and what's going to happen in this case and that case. And Jesus knew that when he left that these men would have that concern. And so he realized that these men needed to be steadfast. And notice in verses 13 to 16, he prayed some things about them being steadfast. Now, being steadfast means basically what it means. It means you stand and you stand fast. Get yourself rooted. You don't move. You're, say, you're saying, you know, I'm not going to be moved. I'm going to have some convictions about church, and I'm going to have some convictions about prayer, and I'm going to have convictions about the Word of God, and I'm going to have some convictions about living for Jesus, and I'm going to have some convictions that, that the church is not a universal church. It's a local New Testament church. I'm going to have some conviction about the fact that the church is the pillar and ground of truth. It's the church of the living God. It's God's house of prayer. I'm going to have some conviction about those things, but we need to be steadfast. Listen, Paul said, be ye steadfast. Don't move. Why? Because winds will be blowing. People right now dealing down in the southern states with Hurricane Dorian going through there, they have to be steadfast to that storm. And Jesus was concerned they had to be steadfast. Notice, he said, he prayed in verse 13 that they would be steadfast in their joy. Would you look at verse 13? He said, and now I come to thee, Father, that these things and these things that I speak in the world, that they, that is his pupils, his disciples, might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Jesus prays, he prayed that his disciples would have his joy fulfilled in them. Can I challenge you about something this morning? Read through the Gospels and see how Jesus had joy in every circumstance. No wonder the Apostle Paul in writing Hebrews 12, 2 said this, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. Can I tell you this morning, you and I can have joy during hard times. And you and I can have joy through disappointments. And you and I can have joy when we're rejected. And you and I can have joy when there's sorrow and we're hurting. And he prayed for these men that they would have his joy fulfilled. Now, joy, God's joy must, you have to work, you have to let God work on you. You can't manufacture, you've got to let the Lord work on you. Joy cometh in the morning. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And when you lose your joy, you lose your victory. You lose your joy, you lose your direction, you lose your bearings there. He says, rejoice evermore. He prayed that they would be steadfast and joy. But notice something else. He prayed for them to be steadfast in the world. Would you notice some things he says there? He said in verse 14, I've given them thy word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. He said, listen, he said, Father, when they got saved, I brought them out of the world. Now listen this morning, we are in the world too. We're in this world, but we're not to be of this world. We're not to conform to this world. This world is the enemy of God. Listen, the Bible says pure religion and not defiled before God is to visit the fatherless and the widows in reflection and to keep himself unspotted from the world. The Bible says that, that the love of the word is to love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. The Bible tells us this morning that friendship with the world is enmity with God. I'm just saying this morning that the words of our Savior, he is praying for these men because there is a tendency that the world would pull them out. And we're going to see that in John 21. 
21. Because in John 21, Peter himself led a number of the disciples to go back into the world. They were in the ministry, but they went back into the world. Listen, the tendency, the pull of the devil, the pull of Satan to pull you and I back in the world can be a very, very strong pull. It can pull us much stronger than we feel like the, the power of God because we would we, we turn our affection that way. And when we turn our affection that way, we find ourselves being pulled that way. And so he prayed for them. They would be steadfast in the world. Look what he says here. I pray, verse 15, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. And I'm going to give you a word of encouragement this morning. Thank God this morning you and I are not of the world. Thank God he saved us out of the world system. Amen. You can't, listen, you can't hold on here and you can't hold on here because you know at the end of the day, you're going to be pulled apart. One's going to pull you in a direction and you're going to go that direction. You've got to let go of the world and let Jesus pull you closer to him. Amen. <clears throat> so he prayed for their security. He prayed for their steadfastness. But notice something else in verses 17 and 19. <clears throat> Very quickly. He prayed for their sanctification. Look at verse 17. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Now that's a whole message by itself, but let me just see what he's saying there. Sanctify or sanctification is a great Bible word. It's what happens in salvation after you're saved. The word sanctify is where we get our word holy from. In both words, you should not be afraid of the word sanctify, and you shouldn't be afraid of the word holy. Basically means God has set you and I apart for himself. We belong to God. He set us apart for himself. Now, in that sanctification, it, has to, it deals with you and I living for God, the victorious Christian life. In Romans 6, verses 11 to 14, this is how the Apostle Paul describes sanctification. Likewise, reckon ye yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members to, as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you. You are not under the law, but under grace. And what shall we say then? Shall we abound in sin? No. Let grace much more abound. Listen this morning. God wants us to realize when we got saved, the grace of God working in our life works in us so that we can live lives that are separate from those things. You say, Pastor, there's so many things to give up. I understand that. But that's why we need to get our eyes on Jesus and look full in his wonderful face. And that's what we have to understand. As he prayed for the disciples, he knew their tendencies that they would easily go back in the world and they would find more comfort in the world than they would in, in his word. And so he says, Father, here's what I need you to do. Sanctify them. And he says one thing here. He says, sanctify them through thy truth. And th so he's saying here, listen, God, God the Father, he says, Father, Work in my disciples so that they are set apart, they're walking with me, they experience the joy of the Christian life, they can live victoriously over the world, they can have lives of great faith, they can be men of prayer, they can be ministers of the word of God, but do it through thy truth, do it through the word of God. Now let me tell you this morning, you and I cannot make in the Christian life if we don't have the word of God. You need God's word if you're going to make it. Listen, it's, you're not going to cut it, and I'm not going to cut it. To have a Bible that's sitting on a shelf or a coffee table or sitting in your nightstand and is drawing dust, you haven't touched it since the last Sunday. Listen, he says, sanctify them through thy truth. We must give preeminence to the word of God in our life. That's why he said in Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. And so this morning, I want to give you some thoughts here. As he prayed that prayer, I think this is what he's thinking of. In John 15.3, there's the purifying of the word. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. There is the power of the word of God. For the word of God is quick. And that means it's, it's alive. And it's powerful. God's word changes lives. And sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing even to the dividing of son of the soul and spirit. And of the joints and marrows. And discerning the thoughts and intents of the heart. 
listen, we need to get the word of God so deep into us. It's kind of like what Ehud did when he, that, that, that servant of God, Ehud, t- plunges his dagger, his 18-inch dagger into the belly of Eglon the king. The Bible says the dirt came out. We need to get us so plunging deeply that junk, the junk gets out of us and holiness can come in. And notice there's the practice of the word of God. It's not enough you hear the word. Listen, it's not enough you hear the word of God. You need to practice the word of God. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. And so we see our Lord Jesus Christ is praying a very intense prayer and a very intimate prayer. A very interesting prayer. But notice this this morning, his prayer is filled with passion for the glory of God. His prayer is for the pupils that God had given him as we close this morning quickly. Would you notice Jesus prays for his people? Look at verse 20 and 21 and we're done. He said in verse 20, neither pray I for these alone. Isn't that interesting? 13, 14 verses, he's praying for these disciples. Their security, their steadfastness, their sanctification. But his his prayer has vision. Did you know his prayer had vision to September 1st, 2019? He said, I pray not for these alone. But for them also, which shall believe on me through their word. And his people are the people of God. That's you and me. That's the church of the living God. Amen. He's praying for you and me. He's our great intercessor in heaven at the right hand of God. Listen, Jesus couldn't stay here on earth. He had to send back to heaven to sit at the right hand of God so he could pray. Listen, he's got your name on his prayer list. He's praying for you. Now, I might forget to pray for you one day, and you might forget to pray for me one day, but Jesus never gets to pray for his people. Wow, that's powerful. He's praying for us. He's praying for his people. He's praying for these local New Testament churches and the people who make up those local New Testament churches. And it doesn't matter how strong you may be or how weak you may be or how secure you may be. Hey, I want to give you assurance this morning. He's praying for his people. He's our great intercessor. Notice in verses 21 to 23, it's a prayer for our oneness. He said in verse 21 that they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee. He prays for our unity. Now, unity must be in spirit, but we must have unity in the scriptures and in doctrine. As a member of this church, you should be familiar and wholeheartedly identify with the statement of faith about what we believe. I I enjoy and thankful that God led the selection of the song this morning, the statement of faith. I believe. Amen? I believe who Jesus Christ is. Listen, you need to come to that conclusion. You believe exactly what this church believes. Well, what does this church believe? We believe what the Bible teaches and what the Bible says. And I'm not going to go through the litany of all the things that are there, but we must be united in doctrine. We must be sure we agree with the same doctrine. Now, if you've got some other doctrine that somebody's been messing with your head with, you should come make an appointment and see me about that, and let's get that fixed and corrected there because we need to be on the same page. Hey, see my friend Pastor Yosef, and he'll tell you about when he became pastor, he had to deal with a major doctrine issue that had suddenly crept his way into the church. They lost 50 people because they didn't know that this false doctrine had got in there, and he had to stand up and take a stand against that false doctrine. I'm saying this morning, Jesus is praying that they might be one. He prays that we'd be united in spirit and we'd be united in the scriptures. But notice something else. We need to be united in terms of our duty. 
We serve God together. We don't serve with a different agendas and a different direction, a different Jesus. We're all serving the same Jesus and the same local church and doing the same thing for the glory of God. Amen? So he prayed for their witness. But notice something else. He prayed for their witness. Our witness. He prays for our witness. He prays for our witness. He said in verse 21, which you notice this, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. Listen, if we're a divided church, you better remember these words. If we're ever a divided church, the people on the outside have no inclination to believe on Jesus Christ as Savior. What a bad testimony. In verse 23, I and them and thou and me that they may be made perfect in love and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Jesus Christ prays for your witness and my witness. I was so excited yesterday. We had a good number of our people out so many yesterday. About 3 or 4 o'clock in the afternoon, I started getting a series of messages of people that had gotten saved during the day, and I was just rejoicing. Praise God for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. He prays for our witness. But as we close this morning, he doesn't pray just for our oneness, and he doesn't pray for just our witness. But you notice, he prayed about our welcome. You know, the key thought in this whole text, next to the glory of God, he said in verse 24, Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. And as he prayed about the welcome here, I, I want you to notice here, we go back to verse 3, verse 2 and 3. He says, as thou hast given the, him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they may know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou sent. And he says all that as he closes us off. He's speaking about eternity and eternal life. Did you know when we leave this life, we leave this life, entrance into the presence of God is a hearty welcome from God. Welcome home, son. Welcome home. Amen? Welcome home. Welcome home, child. Welcome home, thou good and faithful servant. He didn't say, what took you so long? He says, welcome home. Listen, the sweetest words you could hear as a father in heaven, he says, welcome home, servant of God, and welcome home, son of God, and welcome to your pl the place where I've reserved for you in heaven. The Bible says in Psalms 116, verse 15, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. And I'm thankful this morning as I consider two different people at, within hours of each other that left this life. The first words they heard and the first person they saw when they opened their eyes in eternity was the face of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the words, those gentle, loving, assuring words, welcome home. You're welcome here. I'm glad that you're here. Welcome home, Erlene. Welcome home, if you would, Mr. Wong. Welcome home. This is your place. Here's the place I've reserved for you. He says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. I go to prepare a place for you that where I am that you may be also. And this this morning, Jesus is praying for your welcome. If you're not saved this morning, he wants you to know. He wants you to get saved so he can issue that welcome to you. That you may know that eternal life, which is only through Jesus Christ. This morning, I'm thankful for a Savior who prays for me and he prays for you. He prayed a prayer filled with passion. God, that you might be glorified. He prayed... For those men that he trained and he discipled, those pupils, those men of God, that they would have security, that they would be steadfast, that they would, have, they would be set apart for the, the holiness of God. And he prays for us as a church. He prays for the things that are, should be so important to us about our unity and about our witness and about the fact 
that if you know Jesus Christ as Savior, that you can have this assurance and rest in your heart that entrance into the presence of God is his way of saying, welcome home. And today, if you don't know Christ as Savior, we invite you to do it. Call on the name of the Lord to save you. That whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Repent of your sins. Take Jesus by faith as your Savior. You will be saved. Christian friend, he's prayed all these things for us. Where are you in that? Is he being glorified in your life? Is he being glorified through your witness? Are you seeking to be united in what we do? Is being on the same page with God? Are you seeking to be sanctified apart for God? Whatever it may be this morning, the Holy Spirit of God has spoken and he says sanctify them by truth. The truth of God's word has been read and seen and studied this morning. As we, per, as we look at it, let it permeate your heart. Let it lead you to decisions for the glory of God. In a moment, we're going to have an invitation time. It's time for us to say, Lord, this is how you spoke to me today. Thank you for that. And giving God the glory for that and letting him do his good work in you. And then taking that moment and stepping out by faith and saying, you know what? I'm going to step out in obedience. There's something God need, I need to obey God in. There's something I need to do right before the Lord. And find your place at the altar like many of those men did this morning, praying for preparation of service, that you find your place where God can work in your heart.